Hi, this is John, by the way, and today I'm talking about Matthew chapter 18 and Luke chapter 10. And there's a couple of memorable parables here, perhaps the most memorable parable in Luke 10. But in Matthew 18, we have the parable of the unmerciful servant. This one I think we're all familiar with. The, the question that drew the parable out of Jesus was when Peter asked, how often how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times, and Jesus says, till 70 times seven, and he gives this parable in Matthew 18, 23 through 35, about a certain king who would take account of his servants. He had one servant that owed him 10,000 talents, which is just an astronomical number. And I'm sure you'll talk about this in your Come Follow Me class and in the, the manual for individuals and families. And this debtor forgave this 10,000 talent debt. But this same servant went out, found somebody that owed him money and took him by the throat and said, pay me that thou owest. He only owed him a hundred pence. And this debtor said, have patience with me, I will pay thee all. And he would not, but cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when the fellow servants saw what was done, they took this man who wouldn't forgive the debt to the person he owed a debt to. And said, didn't I forgive you this huge debt? How could you not forgive this small debt? So that's basically the, the story. And when I think about how this applies to me and how it applies to us, withholding forgiveness is, I think, what this whole thing is about. And when, when I was a teenager, I had a certain after-school routine. I would come home, usually drop my stuff on the floor, make a piece of toast, and watch a rerun of Hogan's Heroes. It was on in the afternoon. So this tells you how old I am. So Hogan's Heroes was a show that was set in World War II, Germany, a bunch of allied prisoners in a German prisoner of war camp, which is the most ridiculous setting for a comedy ever. But they would sneak out of the camp through hidden tunnels and blow up bridges and ammo dumps and sneak back into camp just in time for roll call. So they, they had this covert little thing going. But one thing I, I always noticed, they would always stay on the prison camp side of the bridge after they blew it up <laughs> so that they would, wouldn't have to cross it to get home. And I think you can hear where I'm going with this. Um, the old saying is, if if you don't forgive others, you burn a bridge over which you yourself must cross. And I think that some of the most profound gospel stories I've ever heard involve forgiveness. I remember President Boy K. Packer talking about a young husband searching for a local doctor to help his wife deliver their first child. But while the doctor came and assisted in the delivery, he fatally infected the new mother with the disease he had treated earlier in the day. And President Packer talks about this young man be becoming bitter. His wife was gone. And, and as you can imagine, I mean, these are the toughest stories. And how his stake president came to see him and told him, you, you've got to let this go. And anyway, if you want to find that story, I'm, I'm sure you can find it. That book is called That All May Be Edified. Another one, The Healing Power of Forgiveness, President James E. Faust talks about an Amish community is devastated by the murder of several teenage girls by a local milkman, but the Amish reach out with love and forgiveness to the perpetrator's family, 
There's also the story of Corrie Ten Boom, I think you've probably heard before. So she was in a Nazi concentration camp and survived to tell her story in many churches, but after preaching to a particular group, she's, she's approached by a man who turns out to be one of the former guards who asks for her forgiveness and extends his hand. These are amazing stories that that they always make me ask how could i do that you know and sometimes in our day we hear of of children little children who suffer horrible kinds of abuse from those that they should be able to trust and look to for protection and sometimes these offenses are so extreme and unthinkable that we think you know nothing but the power of god could help that victim forgive and that's exactly right. Sometimes their only way is that God's going to have to help me do this because I can't do this on my own. So the sufferings and death of Christ, we might say, are sufficient to cover that amazing 10,000 talent debt of all the sins of mankind. And as he takes his sins upon himself, he requires us to forgive the 100 pence trespasses against us. And it always reminds me of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 12, that one line, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That parable, maybe if you want to go find the President Faust talk, Healing Power of Forgiveness, or Pat Holland talks about in a talk called Fruits of Peace, the Corey Ten Boom story, or the President Packer story, it can help you as you need some some more illustrations of this ability to forgive, which is so hard. The other thing I wanted to spend my time on today in this, my mini little podcast, is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, I wanted to first start with a statement from the, from the book, Jesus the Christ. This is what Elder James E. Talmadge said, A priest and a Levite passed by the victim in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Were they going to the temple or coming home from the temple? The text suggests they were on their way home from the temple. First of all, it says the victim went down from Jerusalem. Then in the next verse it says, By chance there came down a certain priest that way. Also, Elder Talmadge concluded, We know that Jericho was, was a prominent place of residence for priests and Levites. So, here's the setting of the parable. The lawyer asked basically two questions. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered a question with the question and said, You've, you know the law, how readest thou? And he answered, as you might expect, love God with all your heart, might, mind, and strength, and with all your soul, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, do that. But the man says, okay, well, who's my neighbor? Which was an interesting question back in the day. The lawyers in the crowd who asked Jesus the question were acquainted with the two great commandments, but they may have added in their own minds, I'm not required to love my enemies. And there was a rabbinical teaching that stated, and this is from Dumelow's commentary on the Bible, page 751, an Israelite killing a stranger inhabitant doth not die for it by the Sanhedrin, because it is said, if anyone lifts up himself against his neighbor. We are not to contrive the death of the Gentiles, but if they are in any danger of death, we are not bound to deliver them. If any of them fall into the sea, you need not take him out, for such a one is not thy neighbor. So there's that dichotomy, neighbors and, and, and strangers. 
I have to love my neighbor, but I don't have to love strangers. Where Jesus is going to do in this parable is say, everyone is your neighbor. So as we read this parable, and we all know how it goes, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. So who was this victim? We, we don't really know. It doesn't, he doesn't say much about the victim. His clothes had been taken. He couldn't speak, making identification more difficult. Was he a Jew or a Gentile? Can't tell by his clothes. What language did he speak? It, 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 he's unconscious. He can't speak. So you can imagine the absurdity based on the Dumelo commentary, the rabbinical teaching. Ex- excuse me, could you please wake up from your half-dead state and tell me about your nationality so I may know if you meet the legal definition of a neighbor or not? Then I'll know if I can help you. But that's kind of the point of the parable. And there, there really is another issue for the priest and the Levite that complicated this. And that is in the law of Moses, in Numbers chapter 19, verse 11, it says, He that toucheth the dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days. So it adds a little bit of inconvenience to this, which makes the parable even better, doesn't it? And the JST adds, They passed by on the other side and desired in their hearts that it might not be known that they had seen him. So, the interesting thing to me is Jesus didn't specify the victim's identity at all. Instead of focusing on whether the victim was a neighbor, Jesus focused on the three who saw the victim on the road. Which one of them was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And even the lawyer that asked the question had to admit, he that showed mercy on him, that's a neighbor. So, they they knew in their hearts what, what it is to be neighborly. And to treat everyone as a neighbor, even though they had their own kind of idea about strangers and neighbors. And some we have to love and some we don't. Another thing that I think is so interesting is in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, there are four men from Samaria. And after a warning from a prophet named Odin, O-D-E-N, they took care of some war refugees in a good Samaritan manner. So, this is Second Chronicles 28, 15. And the men rose up and took the captives, and with the spoil clothed all that were naked among them, and arrayed them, and shod them, put shoes on them in other words, and gave them to eat and to drink, and anointed them, and carried all the feeble of them upon asses, and brought them to Jericho, the city of palm trees, to their brethren. Then they returned to Samaria. So, Samaria. So here's this Old Testament echo or (laughs) precursor to the Good Samaritan. Maybe we could call these four the Old Testament Good Samaritans. The lawyers must have been familiar with 2 Chronicles 28 verse 15, and probably also familiar with a verse in Hosea 6.6, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So mercy trumps other points of the law, you might say. 1 Samuel 15, 22, it is better to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken to the fat of rams. Well, whatever legal dilemma the priest and the Levite may have faced, Jesus taught that love and mercy should win out. Now, what do I do with these parables? Go and do thou likewise, Jesus says. And there was a time when I worked in downtown Salt Lake City. I do a lot of Zooming now, but 
I still go down there, but there was a time when I used to walk by Temple Square a lot, and I was often approached by panhandlers as I walked to my car. And one time, I'm sorry to confess, I actually crossed on the other side of the street. And then I heard my conscience scream the words, the priest and the Levite passed by on the other side. Well, how am I supposed to handle such things? Some of the panhandlers take up residence right at the exit of the Salt Lake Temple. And right now, it's being remodeled the last couple of years. But if you remember, there's actually a sign posted by the church right outside the temple saying that rather than giving money to panhandlers, we should give to local relief agencies. So this, well, interesting, isn't it? Some cases, giving to panhandlers may just be enabling them to further addictions to drugs and alcohol, and that's why the sign is up there, that these relief agencies are better able to actually help people. Sometimes we're just helping them stay in their bad state. So I thought, okay, I will do something different. Instead of just giving money, I'll give a gift card for fast food. So I tried that for a while, and then I remembered there's this documentary called Supersize Me about a well-known fast food chain and this guy ate at, 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 I won't say the fast food chain, for like a year, and it almost killed him. And then I thought, I'm killing these people by giving them fast food. So I, I would carry a granola bar or something. And then some one of the panhandlers said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm diabetic, I can't have sugar. And you know, it's, it's a really a problem to help people who want to be helped in a certain way. And I really don't know who I resemble in this parable but it did make me want to donate more to relief agencies that know how to really help and not just prolong problems. But I knew I didn't want to be the priest or the Levite and pass by on the other side. And that's why I love that we have opportunities for things like fast offerings and, and service in our own wards and branches. There's a, a place also in downtown Salt Lake City called St. Vincent de Paul, which our ward, our stake, has rotating assignments where we go down and serve people dinner that are, are homeless or don't have food and things like that. And we have opportun opportunities like that. But what I've learned from, from this and from being a bishop is that helping the poor is a little more complicated than I used to think it was to actually help the poor is more complicated. But in this parable of the Good Samaritan, one of the things that is so genius about what Jesus did was he actually answered both questions. What must I do to obtain eternal life is kind of looking at the parable in a second level. Who is my neighbor? That question is answered by the, on the face of it by the parable. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Think of it this way. A man, all mankind, went down or left the pre-mortal existence, went from Jerusalem, we could call that the presence of God, to Jericho, to the world, fell, and we all fall, the world's in a fallen state, fell among thieves, that's Satan, that's trials, which stripped him and wounded him, that's how we get beat up on this mortal planet. The priest and Levite passed by, and some with partial authority can't save, can't help. Some people pass us by. This Samaritan, who was Samaritan's not accepted, and that's like Jesus, not accepted by even some of his own, had compassion, 
like Jesus would with the pure love of Christ, bound up his wounds. He binds us with covenants, binds us to him, poured in oil, perhaps symbolic of the Holy Ghost, and wine, that could be symbolic of the blood of Christ, the atonement, took him to the inn. Maybe the inn could be the church, the gospel, took him to a community of saints where they could help. And on the morrow, a new day in the church, he was born again. The innkeeper watches over, the church leaders watch over, and waiting for the second coming of the Savior to come back. And the Savior will cover all costs and reward well. I adapted this from a talk by John Welch called The Good Samaritan. And in his book, he mentions that even the early church fathers saw this double way that Jesus was answering both questions, who's my neighbor and what shall I do to obtain eternal life? So this parable of the Good Samaritan is perhaps one of the, I would argue, the best known parable. I think so much that we hear the term as we watch the news, you know, oh, a Good Samaritan helped somebody that, you know, was off the side of the road and newspapers refer to people that way and news broadcasts, this was a Good Samaritan and there's hospitals and charities that use the term Samaritan in their names. So it's interesting to me that Samaritans who are despised and hated has become, um, they get good press in the Bible and they're given in the, in the news and in our common culture today, we speak of a good Samaritan, a nice person that went out of their way and, and helped out. Well, I read a lot, to be honest, from my book of, of Pigs, Pearls, and Prodigals to talk about these two parables. I hope it was helpful for you today, and we'll talk to you next time. 